Well, thank you. And uh, good morning, everyone. Thanks for letting me be here with you this morning. It's awesome to see um, so many familiar faces and actually so many unfamiliar faces. And I love to see how um, God is continuing to grow the Bath campus and Grace Church at all of our campuses. It's been awesome. Um, as Ezra has mentioned, it's been, I think, over a year now since, uh, since I've been back here at the Bath campus. And so um, it is great to be here. As Ezra mentioned, my wife and I, Jessica, before we um, went over to the Medina East campus, uh, we were actually at the Bath campus working with the college ministry for seven years. And so I just want you guys to know um, this campus, Bath campus, you guys, you have a very special place in our hearts. And so uh, we love you. It's always a blast um, to be back and, uh, and to be here. And I know I should also say thank you not only for letting me be here, um, but also I want to say thank you for letting us borrow some of your pastors. And so, you know, through this series that the Medina East Campus has had an opportunity to hear from Pastor Jeff. Um, he spoke at Medina a couple weeks ago, did an awesome job. This morning, Pastor Ryan is preaching over at the Medina Campus, and uh, so pray for him if you think about it. But I just want to say thank you for letting us borrow them. You guys probably know this already, but you have some tremendous pastors and leaders and teachers here at the Bath Campus. So I know I have some big shoes to fill, and hopefully I do um, a good job doing that. If, you're a, if you are a guest this morning, if this is your first time here uh, at Grace Church, let me just kind of explain what we're doing. We're in a series right now, and actually a campus-wide series we've been calling My Life Changed When. And really what we've been doing in this series is we've been talking about those events and those circumstances and those situations in life that God oftentimes uses as a catalyst for life change. And, and so we've been saying that those My Life Changed When moments, all of us have them, we said they can be anything from the monumental and the joyous occasions of life um, all the way to the painful, the, the hurtful, the, the sorrowful situations in life and really anything in between. And so we've been encouraging all of our campuses to do at Grace Church. We've been encouraging people to identify those stories, identify those moments, those circumstances, those events where God has really introduced and catalyzed life change. And then we've been encouraging you to share them. And, uh, and so it's been neat to see how at all of our campuses, people have been doing that in a, in a variety of different ways. So that's been a blast. So each weekend, what we've been doing through this series is we've been talking about a sort of life change circumstances that God frequently uses. So this morning, um, I've been assigned to the topic of teaching my life change when someone invested in me. Uh, my life change when someone invested in me. So that's what we're going to be talking about today. My life change when someone invested in me. And the way I want to do that is sort of in a roundabout way. And so um, two years ago, a little over two years ago, uh, we started services at the Medina East Campus for the very first time. Uh, we started in December of 2012. It was right before Christmas. And I will never forget something that happened to me, kind of a wild experience, on the Sunday morning uh, before Christmas Eve. And so Sunday morning before Christmas Eve, um, like I said, we had just started services at the Medina East Campus. I think we were two or three weeks in at that time, so everything was really new. This Sunday morning, the one before Christmas, I remember I got done uh, teaching that morning, and I was driving home. And it was one of those circumstances where uh, it was a, sort of a stressful time. Uh, there was a lot of really exciting things that were going on. There's a lot of really challenging things that were going on because we were a new campus. And then quite honestly, we had Christmas Eve services coming, and so we had a lot of details to, to kind of go aside with that. So I was driving home, and I just had a head full of, of, uh, of details, a head full of worries. And so I was just thinking about all this stuff while I was driving. So I'm cruising on the highway, got the radio on in the background, but I'm kind of spacing out because I'm thinking about all the details and all the challenges and all the things we have to do. And as I was driving down the highway, I'll never forget that there was a car that was in front of me that was just going, I mean, obnoxiously slow. 
So I'm in the slow lane. This guy's going like, I mean, the speed limit's 60, 65. This dude's going like 35, 40 tops. So needless to say, I slow down, right? And I'm behind this guy. And, uh, and, I'm, and I start looking in my rearview mirror because I'm trying to find an opportunity to pass. But I can see that there's no opportunity in the near future, so I'm stuck. So here I am, I'm driving behind this guy, I'm thinking about all these details, and I'm just kind of trying not to be annoyed with this person that's going so slow in front of me, looking for my opportunity to pass. And as I'm looking at my rearview mirror, I remember at one point, I just, I saw this SUV, um, and this guy was just barreling down the highway. I mean, just blazing, right? And I remember thinking to myself, wow, that guy's going really fast, and I kept watching my rearview mirror, and he started getting closer and closer. I remember thinking to myself, I don't think he's paying attention. And then he got even closer and even closer, and it became certain to me, man, this guy's going to hit me. He's going to hit me. And so I immediately, like, tensed up real, real tight, which they say is, like, the worst thing you can do if you're going to experience sudden impact. I couldn't help it. I just got real, real tense. And at the very, very last moment, I was watching the whole thing in the rearview mirror. This guy, um, he, at the very last moment, he, he swerves around me, just misses me, right? And, I mean, this is, like, tires squealing, the whole deal. And he goes into the passing lane. And once he gets into the passing lane, he proceeds to overcorrect his vehicle and slam right into the front of my car. And I thought to myself, well, that's fascinating. (laughs) And um, that actually started a series of events that I remember so vividly because it seemed like the next sequence of events happened in slow motion. I don't know if this ever happened to you guys before where you get a rush of adrenaline that's so strong that it feels like everything starts moving in slow motion. This is exactly what happened. I'll never forget the next sequence of events because when he hit me, I remembered the, the sound that it made. It was a very loud crunch. And then I remember my car turned and I was facing oncoming traffic. I remember thinking to myself, okay, I'm spinning. And then the next thing I remember is the airbags deployed. So it was like a cloud of white. And the next thing I remember seeing was just sky, ground, sky, ground. And I remember thinking to myself, okay, I'm rolling. And and then the very next thought I had, so I thought I'm spinning. I thought I'm rolling. And then I remember thinking very distinctively, I'm probably dying. This is probably it. I remember thinking this is not one of those accidents that people walk away from. And so I'm probably done. And, uh, and I know this sounds like a lot to think about in one moment, but I'm telling you, it seemed like it happened in slow motion, and I still remember what I thought. I remember thinking, okay, if this is it, if this is my time to go, and it's time to meet my maker, I remember thinking, you know what, if that's the case, I'm prepared for that. Like, I, I know Jesus, I know what he came to do. If it's time to meet Jesus, then that, that, that's fine. Uh, but the very next thought I had, I remember thinking it was this, but man, God, if there's any way, just not right now, and what came to my mind was the relationships in my life that matter the most. So I started thinking about my wife, Jessica. And I started thinking about our boys. We had two little boys at the time. We still have two little boys. But at the time, they were littler. And they were two and three. And I thought about them. And then I remember, quite honestly, you guys, I thought about our church. Um, not everybody. There's a lot of us. But I started thinking about our church. We just got started at the Medina campus. And what came to my mind so quickly was those relationships that mattered. I remember thinking, God, please, just maybe not now. And so what ended up happening is that finally the car came to rest. The car that hit me, my car spun. It rolled two and a half times, 
landed in a ditch on the passenger side. And so uh, the, the driver's side was literally up in the air. And so I was suspended in by my seatbelt when the car finally came to rest. And I remember when the car came to a standstill and everything kind of stopped and got quiet. I was just sort of shocked, you know? And I just sort of looked around and then I like patted myself down for good measure, you know? I was like, I think, and I was like, I'm okay. I was like, I'm all right. Praise God, I'm okay. And it's really funny the things that you remember in moments like that because I distinctively remember that when the car came to a standstill um, that the engine was still running and the radio was still on. And I still remember the song that was playing on the radio after that event took place. Do you guys remember that um, Carly Rae Jepsen song that was real famous, the Hey, I Just Met You? This is crazy, but here's my number, so call me maybe. You guys remember that song? So that was playing on the radio, and I remember thinking to myself, this is not an appropriate time, Carly Rae Jepsen. And I just shut off the radio, and after I finally collected myself, I turned off the engine, I rolled down the window, I climbed out of the vehicle, I walked away with just a minor scratch on my hand. Uh, The other uh, guy who had rolled his car as well, he walked away with just a hand injury. It was a miracle. Either one of us walked away uh, virtually unscathed. But what I find so fascinating about that, when I actually think back at that time, I'm a little bit surprised, not only about what I was thinking about when my car was spinning, I'm also surprised if what I wasn't thinking about. And so when my car was spinning, and I was pretty certain that this was probably it, what immediately came to my mind was the relationships that mattered the most in my life. Thought about my wife, thought about our kids, thought about our church, thought about those relationships. But I'm also surprised what I wasn't thinking about. There's a lot of things I wasn't thinking about. So for example, when my car was spinning, I wasn't thinking about my car, which by the way, I should mention, I had had that car for two weeks before that happened. Uh, before this uh, event occurred, I had a, before I got that car, I actually had a Ford Escort, which that would have been terrible. If you guys know a Ford Escort, they're basically like a street-legal go-kart. So I would have been crushed if that was the case. But I uh, wasn't thinking about my car, wasn't thinking about my house. In fact, the myriad of, of details and worries that were consuming me, just moments before this event took place, evaporated in that moment. And look, my guess is that like me, if you have found yourself in a situation like that, maybe not exactly like that, but like that, when you are confronted with the temporariness of life, when you are reminded of the frailty of this thing that we have in life, my guess is that if you found yourself in a moment like that, that like me, you have found that the things that matter the most in life tend to come into sharp focus. The relationships of life tend to percolate to the top, and and the 90% of things that we tend to worry about, that tend to consume our thinking, really ultimately don't really matter that much anyway, right? Now, Now, the reason I tell that story is because I wanted to actually take you to a passage of Scripture this morning where the Apostle Paul is finding himself in a very similar circumstance, The passage we're about to look at today are the final words that we have recorded from the Apostle Paul, and he writes them in the face of imminent death. The Apostle Paul knows he's going to die, and he writes this letter, and we have it preserved for us today. And what I want to show you is what the Apostle Paul was thinking about when he was in that moment. So if you have your Bibles, if you take them with me, I want to encourage you to go with me to 2 Timothy chapter 4. That's where we're going to be heading today, 2 Timothy chapter 4. And uh, let me just mention to you that if you didn't bring a Bible with you this morning, that's not a problem at all. We actually have some available for you. You can just grab one of ours. You can turn to page uh, 833 in those Bibles that we have laid out for you. You'll find 2 Timothy 4 there. Um, And as you're flipping there and and finding it, let me just uh, give you a little bit more uh, background on the occasion in which this book is written. 
So 2 Timothy, some of you might know, is actually written by a guy named the Apostle Paul. Uh, Paul was a major leader and a major influence in the early Christian movement. Uh, he's responsible for writing a good amount of the New Testament. He's responsible for spreading churches and planting churches across the ancient world. A very, very, very influential guy. He writes this book, the book of 2 Timothy, um, when he's in prison. So he's in a, he's in a dungeon. He's awaiting execution underneath a tyrannical leader, a guy by the name of Nero. Here's what I want you to understand. Paul, when he writes this letter to Timothy, Timothy would have been his young protege, he is, uh, just get this, all right, he is days, possibly hours from death, and, and he's writing this letter. And so the apostle Paul know that, knows that death is intimate, it's coming, right? And, and in that moment of imminent death, he pulls out a pen, he pulls out some paper, and he writes this letter to this guy, Timothy. And we have his last thoughts documented for us. And so I just want to read for us uh, verses 9 to 15 in chapter 4. Um, there's a lot that's in here, but I just want to focus for our purposes on these verses um, here this morning. So let's read these together. So once again, the Apostle Paul writing to Timothy from prison, facing execution. Here's what he says Do your best to come to me quickly. For Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me and he's gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark, bring him with you, because he's helpful to me in my ministry. I sent Tychicus to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas and my scrolls, especially the parchments. Alexander the metalworker did me a great deal of harm. The Lord will repay him for what he's done. You too should be on your guard against him, because he strongly opposed our message. All right, so that's our passage. Why don't we close in prayer and we'll be dismissed, all right? I'm just, I'm just joking around. That is, uh, that, my guess is for some of you when we read that, you're like, that's a weird passage. That's a bizarre passage. And the truth is it is sort of a weird passage. It's a passage of scripture that many of us, quite honestly, if we're reading our Bibles, we tend to skim right past it. We tend to glaze past it because it's full of names that we're unfamiliar with. It's full of places that we're unfamiliar with. And my guess is that this passage of scripture that we read this morning is not going to make the top 10 most memorized verses in the Bible, right? No one's getting that embroidered on anything. I haven't met anyone who says, whenever I'm going through a hard time in life, I just quote from 2 Timothy chapter 4 where it says, I sent Tychicus to Ephesus and it just comforts my soul, you know? No one's saying that. And, and, and again, it's because it's full of places we've never heard of. So you have Ephesus, you have Troas, we've never heard of these places. It's full of names that we're unfamiliar with, Tychicus, Titus, Luke, Carpus, which can we just admit, by the way, Carpus, that's a pretty awesome name, right? I'm just telling you, being a pastor for a little while, I've done a fair amount of baby dedications, I've done a fair amount of hospital visitations. I have yet to hold a little Carpus. It's not happened. Last time I held a little carpus was when I went fishing. That was it, you know. So, so carpus, pretty crazy name. But it's full of places we've never heard of, full of names we've never heard of, so we tend to just breeze right past it. But here's the truth, and here's what I want you to see. The Apostle Paul is facing certain death. He knows he's going down. And what's he thinking about? Well, I'll tell you what he's thinking about. He's thinking about these relationships. He's thinking about these names of these men. And the truth of the matter is that if you were to actually do a back study on each one of these names and each one of these places, you would see that this is a very rich passage. And it is full of a wealth of history that precedes it and goes before it. What I want you to notice is that the Apostle Paul, like many of us, when he finds himself facing certain death, what comes to his mind are the relationships in his life that matter most. 
If you guys know much about the Apostle Paul, some of you might not be real familiar with the Bible, but when you read about the Apostle Paul, one of the things that becomes real clear about him is that Paul had a mission. And Paul's mission in life was to present every man mature in Christ. It was the aim of his life. Paul was perpetually and continually investing in guys to help them grow up and know Jesus. And so most of the names that we read in this passage are guys that the Apostle Paul would have personally and intentionally invested his life into. And so now he's facing death. He's sitting in a prison. He's awaiting execution. And who's he thinking about? He's thinking about these guys, these guys that he's poured his life into, that he's invested himself in. And of all the the men that the Apostle Paul would have poured his life into, um, there is one relationship that towers over all of them in the Bible, and that is Paul's relationship with this man, the man which the book is named after, Timothy. Paul and Timothy. Now, I know for some of you, you might not be super familiar with Paul and Timothy, but if you get to know their story, you get to realize that Timothy is a guy who would tell you, if he was here today, he would tell you, my life changed when someone invested in me. My life changed because the apostle Paul invested in me. And so what I want to do with the rest of the time that we have remaining today is I want to talk real briefly about three ways the Apostle Paul invested in Timothy. I'm going to show you that in the Bible, three ways the Apostle Paul invested in Timothy. And then I want to spend the rest of our time um, talking about how that applies to us. So let me tell you a little bit about their story. Three ways that the Apostle Paul invested in Timothy. Here's the first thing. If you're taking notes, you might want to jot this down if you want to. Here it is. The first way the Apostle Paul invested in Timothy is he invited him in. The Apostle Paul invited Timothy in. He initiated a relationship with him. He instigated a friendship with him. He reached out and invited him in. Um, The passage for this, by the way, is Acts 16. You don't need to turn there in your Bible. I'll just reference it. But in Acts chapter 16, we are told about the first time the Apostle Paul meets Timothy. And so the Bible says that Paul's been going around. He's been planting churches. He's been preaching the gospel. He's been doing all this stuff, going on these missionary trips. And he goes to a little town called Lystra. The Apostle Paul goes into this town called Lystra, and the Bible tells us that he encounters for the very first time a young man. Commentators tell us that when Paul first met Timothy, he was probably 16, 17, 18 years old, real young guy. So the Apostle Paul gets a chance to meet Timothy for the first time. Acts chapter 16 tells us some stuff about Timothy. It tells us, for example, that Timothy was a young man who was raised primarily by his mother and his grandmother. And uh, the Bible tells us that Timothy's mom and grandma were both really strong Christians, so they probably would have taught Timothy about Jesus. They probably would have took Timothy to church. But the Bible also tells us in Acts chapter 16 that Timothy's father was probably an unspiritual, irreligious guy, probably wanted nothing to do with the church. In fact, most commentators agree by the way that it's written that Timothy's dad was most likely uninvolved and disconnected from his life. So Timothy was raised by mom and grandma. Dad was out of the picture And my guess is that for some of you, when you think about the story of your life and your life changed when moments, for some of you, that's your story, right? The picturesque scene of mom and dad and the family piling in the minivan and going to church together. Like, that's just not my story, man. For some of you, maybe your dad was disconnected in your upbringing. For some of you, maybe your mom was out of the picture. Maybe both of your parents were not instrumental in helping raise you. And I'm just saying, if that's your story, man, that's part of Timothy's story. Timothy's dad was disconnected. Mom and grandma raised him. And the Bible says when the Apostle Paul came and met Timothy, you know what he did? Seeing his circumstance, the Apostle Paul invited Timothy in. And he went to Timothy and he said, hey man, how would you like to be part of my team? How would you like to join my crew? We're gonna go around, we're gonna preach the gospel, we're gonna do ministry, we're gonna plant churches. How would you like to come 
with me. And he initiated a relationship, he started a friendship, and he invited Timothy in. You know what the Bible tells us? The Bible tells us as a result of that invitation that from Acts 16 on to the end of the Apostle Paul's life, that these guys are nearly inseparable. And they go on to plant churches together. They go on to preach sermons together. They go on to co-author books of the Bible together. And uh, all of this happened as a result of the Apostle Paul, first and foremost, initiating and inviting in Timothy. The Apostle Paul invested in Timothy. He did it first by inviting him in, but that's not all he did. Because then we're told of the second thing. He invites him in. Here's the second thing. He poured himself out. The Apostle Paul poured himself out into Timothy. Now, what I mean by that, of course, is this. The Apostle Paul allowed Timothy to have a unique access to his life that not many other people had. One of the premier passages on this, by the way, is in 2 Timothy chapter 3. I'll just read it for you. Here's what it says in 2 Timothy 3. Paul says to Timothy in verse 10, you, however, Timothy, you know about my teaching, but look at this, not only my teaching, but also my way of life, You know about my purpose, you know about my faith, my patience, my love, my endurance. You know about my persecutions, my sufferings, what kind of things happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and Lystra, the persecutions I endured, yet the Lord rescued me from them all. Do you guys hear what Paul's saying here? He's saying, Timothy, brother, you know me, dude. You know me. Not only do you know my teaching, but you also know my way of life. Not only do you know the good things in my life, but you also know my sufferings and my persecutions. You are with me in Iconium. You are with me in Lystra. You are with me in these other places. And here's the real question. How would Timothy know those things? The only way Timothy would possess that knowledge is if the apostle Paul had intentionally allowed him to have that access to his life. Paul says to him, he says, man, Timothy, you don't just know my teaching. You know my way of life. You don't just know my doctrine, but you know my character. You don't just know what I'm like when I'm in public and I'm in front of a bunch of people. You know what I'm like in private behind closed doors, what my character is like in real life. You know my way of life. The Bible tells us the Apostle Paul not only invited Timothy in, but he also poured himself out into Timothy. But again, that's not all he did. He invites him in, he pours himself out, and then here's the third thing. He built Timothy up. He built Timothy up. You know, once again, when you read through the New Testament and you read about Timothy, one of the things that becomes very apparent is that Timothy was most likely an insecure, timid young leader. Um, he, was a, he had great gifts and great abilities, but when you read the Bible, you get the indication that this is a guy who probably struggled with believing in himself, had a lot of insecurities, struggled with timidity. And so when you read the Apostle Paul's interactions with Timothy, it's almost like he's a coach. He's constantly coming in and challenging him and encouraging him and saying, man, come on, you might not believe in yourself, but you need to believe in the God who's using you. And Paul is constantly coaching and building Timothy up. One great passage on that, by the way, is 1 Timothy chapter 1. First, or 2 Timothy chapter 1, this is what Paul says. He says, for this reason, Timothy, I remind you, fan into flame the gift of God, which, is, which has been in you through the laying on of my hands. For the spirit that God gave us does not make us timid, gives us power and love and self-discipline. So don't be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord and me as prisoner. Rather, join with me in the suffering of the gospel by the power of God. You see what Paul's saying here? He's like a coach. Like, Timothy, don't neglect your gifts and abilities. You work on those. Fan the flame of your gift. And then he says, and don't be timid, Timothy. God did not give you a spirit of timidity. He looks at him, he says, don't be ashamed of the gospel. In another passage, Paul tells Timothy, he says, don't let anyone look down on you because you're young, dude. 
He's like, you might be young and people might scoff at you because of that. But he says to Timothy, he says, but you set a good example in life and godliness for everybody. Paul's constantly coaching this guy. He's constantly building him up and helping him and, and challenging him in meaningful ways. And so the apostle Paul pours into Timothy. He invites him in, he pours himself out and he builds him up. And the Bible tells us that because of Paul's investment in Timothy, Timothy's life changes. And, and I'm just telling you, man, Timothy goes on to do some pretty awesome stuff. And once again, some of you might not know a whole lot about the Bible, but when you read about what Timothy goes on to do, it's incredible. So for example, did you guys know that Timothy is mentioned in one third of the New Testament? 12 books of the Bible in the New Testament are either co-authored by Timothy or are written, uh, are written to him right? This guy shows up everywhere. When you read the New Testament, every strategic meeting, right? Every church plant, every major event, Timothy shows up in the background. He's like the photo bomber of the New Testament, right? You're just reading, you're like, oh, there's Timothy again. How does that guy keep getting in the picture? He's all over the place, right? And the apostle Paul loves this dude. Whenever the apostle Paul has a situation that he can't attend to, and he needs to send someone who's trustworthy, he sends Timothy, so when the Ephesian church needed to raise leaders and Paul couldn't attend to it, he sent Timothy. When the Corinthian church needed encouragement, Paul sends Timothy. When Paul plants a church in Berea, but then he's got to bail because his life is threatened, he leaves in charge Timothy. I'm just telling you, the apostle Paul believed in this guy, and this guy went on to do tremendous things because of the investment that Paul made. In fact, one of the cool things that we have in the Bible is we have recorded for us Paul's opinion of Timothy. I just want to read this to you real quick. Paul writes this to the Philippians. In Philippians chapter 2, he says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon. Look what he says about him. That I may also be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him. He's like, there's no one like this dude. This guy's awesome. Look what he says. He will show you genuine concern for your welfare. For everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. Do you know that Timothy's proven himself? He, because he, as a son with his father, has served with me into the work of the gospel. Man, what a high compliment. Paul says, I love this dude. There ain't no one like Timothy, man. Everyone else looks out for their own interests, but not Timothy. Timothy genuinely cares about you, and he genuinely is concerned with the interests of Jesus Christ. Man, if that's not a compliment, I don't know what is. Paul's like, I love this guy. And all I'm saying is, Timothy's life changed because Paul invested in him. Now, I know for some of you, as we're talking about this, you're like, man, you're talking a lot about this guy, Timothy. And, and, and what's the deal? Like, what, why are we talking so much about this guy? And what does it have to do with us? Well, well, here's why I'm talking so much about Timothy. Because I believe that for some of us in the room today, to some extent or another, for many of us, we can actually identify with Timothy. Timothy is a guy who would say, my life changed when someone invested in me. And my guess is that for some of you today in this room, that when you look back at the story of your life, and you think about the pivot points that God has, has, has uh, put into your life to change the trajectory of your life, for many of you, you like Timothy would say, you know what, my life changed when someone made an investment in me. That there was a relationship that God put in my life strategically at a certain point, and because our paths crossed at that time with that person, my life will never be the same again. Some of you can think about that. There was someone who invited you in. There was someone who poured themselves out. There's someone who built you up. And maybe it was for a long time, and maybe it was for a short time. Maybe it was someone who was close to you. Maybe it was someone that it was a, someone you didn't know. Maybe it was a teacher. Maybe it was a coach. Maybe it was a family member. Maybe it was a pastor or a life group leader. 
I don't know who it was, but maybe for you, when you look back at your life, you're like, man, God put that person at my, in my life at that time, and I will never be the same again because God used that person, and my life changed as a result of the investment that they made. Someone took the time, and someone took a risk, and because of that, I'm different. For some of you, there are names that come to your mind when I say that. Now, let me just say, one of the reasons that I personally get so passionate about this topic is because, as you can imagine, this is a part of my story. And the truth is, like many of you, when I look back to the story of my life, there are several my life change one moments, right? God has used all types of situations, from the good things to the hard things in life. But can I just tell you, personally speaking, that the most pronounced moments of life change in my life happened because of an investment that someone else made in me. When I think about my life change when someone invested in me, when I think about Paul and Timothy, there's really two relationships that come immediately to mind, two men that come to my mind immediately that if they had not invested in me, I don't know where my life would be. One of those men is actually a guy you guys know. Uh, He's a pastor here at Grace Church. Uh, He is convinced that he's good looking and no one knows why. Um, Of course, what I'm talking about is Pastor Jeff. And uh, man, can I just tell you guys that um, my life changed because of the investment that that man made in my life, right? He's not, not a perfect man, um, definitely not an attractive man, but, uh, but a willing man. And I'm just telling you guys, he, Jeff invited me in. When I, when I got out of college and I moved back from Chicago, uh, Pastor Jeff invited me on staff here at Grace Church. He poured himself out. He gave me unique access to his life and to his leadership. Pastor Jeff challenged me in ways. He built me up. And that guy gave me opportunities that I mean, some of you guys even remember the opportunities. I, I, was, I, had no, I had like no reason to have those opportunities that he gave me. He challenged me beyond my comfort zone. My life changed because of the investment of Jeff Bogue. One of, the, one, of the, one of the first experiences I had um, in this Paul Timothy type of situation that I could think of is when I was in high school, I, I remember another man in my life, a guy named TK, and I'm just telling you, my life changed because of him. And when I was a teenager, I, I came to know Jesus, started following Christ when I was 17 years old. And uh, once I started following Christ, pretty soon after, I signed up to go on this summer-long ministry trip. It was called Operation Barnabas, and it was, it was a group of teenagers that would travel around the country. They would do ministry in different places, and they'd go around on a big blue bus and do this. So I signed up to do this, and, um, and I, one of the leaders that was on my team was a guy by the name of TK. I'm just telling you, the 40 days I had that summer with TK, when I look back in retrospect, I'm just, my life changed that summer. I, I still remember TK invited me in. When I went to orientation for Operation Barnabas, it was in Warsaw, Indiana, wherever that is. And I, I remember I went there and I, I literally did not know another person. There was over 100 teenagers there. I was, and being a shy person by nature, I was intimidated to go in. I remember walking in, being kind of scared, and, and one of the first people I encountered was TK. And can I just tell you, this still boggles my mind. Before I could even say hi to him, he knew my name. I came to find out later that when you apply to go on Operation Barnabas, you have to send a picture of yourself in, and TK would memorize every teenager, over 100 of them, their faces, so that when they walked in the door, he knew them by name. He knew me by name. He invited me in. He said, Tony, come on in. Let me introduce you to some people. Let me show you around. Invited me in. And then you know what he did for the rest of the summer, 40 days? He poured himself out. 
day and night with stinky teenagers in a big blue bus, right? And he would teach us and he would coach us and he would be with us. His wife and his children were with us all summer. And so he gave us unique access to his life. Not only did I get to see the kind of husband he was to his wife, but I got to see the kind of father he was to his children. Poured himself out. And then you know what he did? He built me up. And I'm telling you, I've never been more challenged in my life than the time I was with TK. He stretched me out of my comfort zone. You know, TK is the first guy that ever challenged me to preach a sermon when I was 17 years old. And he coached me through my insecurities. I was terrified. He helped me prepare my sermon. And then when I preached my sermon, he sat right in the front row. And I still remember when I got off the stage, I still remember this so vividly. You know what he did? I got off the stage, I was sweating like crazy because I was so nervous. He put his arm around me and he prayed with me. And then he said this, I'll never forget it. He said, dude, I think you might have a gift. He's like, so you need to fan the flame of that gift. Work on that. And I'm just telling you guys, my life changed because of my interaction with TK. Because someone took the time, because someone took a risk. Because someone invited in, because someone poured out, because someone built up, and my life has changed. God changed me, and he used those men to accomplish that change within me. Now, When I say my life changed because someone invested in me, and I tell you those stories, my guess is that for some of you, you can relate to that. And maybe not exactly like that. Your circumstance, of course, is different. But my guess is there are names right now that are percolating to your mind, and you're thinking, man, geez, if God wouldn't have put that person in my life, I don't know where I would be. And that time and that season, God gave me that relationship, and my life is different because of that person. For some of you, you can relate to that. Quite honestly, for some of you, you can't. And some of you are sitting there and you're thinking, you know what? That sounds really good. But that never happened for me. I mean, I wish someone would have done that for me, but that never happened for me. And can I just tell you that if you're a person that would say that, that you're like, no one's ever invited me in and poured themselves out and built me up in that way. Can I just say if that's the case, unfortunately, um, you're actually the majority. Now, I probably don't need to spend much time convincing you that there is a massive need for this type of mentorship and for this type of discipleship today. There's a massive need for it. I probably also don't need to convince you that the benefits of this type of mentorship and this type of, uh, of, of discipleship are insurmountable. I probably don't need to, 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 to convince you of that. You already know that. And I'm not just talking about with young people. I'm talking about with everybody, every age, every phase of life. The need for this type of investment is needed. For, for young men, for young women, for young marrieds, for, for, for new parents, all the way on every age, every stage, there is a desperate need for this type of investment, for someone to invite in, for someone to pour out, and for someone to build up. It's needed all across the map. And let me just say this, though, for the sake of illustration, let me just talk about one area this is needed. Now, as I said, every age, every stage, mentorship and discipleship is needed. But let me just talk real briefly for illustration's sake about young men in our country today. Um, There is a massive need for this. There's a book that was written recently by a guy named Philip Zimbardo. Philip Zimbardo is a psychologist at Stanford University. Um, And just for the record, he is not affiliated with any religion, so he has no religious agenda at all. And he he writes this this study called The Demise of Guys. And in this book that uh, Philip Zimbardo wrote, he maintains that the proliferation of video game usage and pornography usage today have left young men without basic social skills. And so what he asserts in his book 
is that the excessive use of pornography and video games have left young men with the inability to interact socially in a meaningful way. It's also caused them uh, to lack the ability to set real goals and accomplish them in real time. He points out, uh, for example, that by age 21, the average young man in America today by age 21 has spent 10,000 hours playing video games. Now, just so you get some bearing of how much time that is, it takes half that time to earn your bachelor's degree. 10,000 hours of video game usage by the age of 21. He also points out that the pornography industry in the 1970s was a $10 million industry. Today it is a $13.3 billion industry. Most young men by the age of 12 have encountered hardcore pornography on the internet, not because they were looking for it, but because they were searching for something innocent and came across it. And so what Zimbardo says with statistical analysis and with psychological, uh, with his uh, psychological opinion, he basically says that young men today are affected by this. Now, now you take that information, okay, you compound that with the fact that today, 40% of children born in America today are born from day one without dad in the house, from day one. I probably don't need to convince you that there's a massive need for someone to come along and invite in to pour out and to build up. There's an African proverb that says, if you do not initiate your young men into the tribe, they will come back and burn down the village just to feel the heat. It's a massive need for this with young men, but it's not just young men. We could talk about young women. We could talk about young marriages. We could talk about new parents. We could talk about every stage and every phase of life. This is a massive need. And my guess is that you, not only do you already know this, but you probably feel the need for this. I think all of us know that this is something we crave. We want someone to help us navigate the places of life that we're unfamiliar with. Even Hollywood knows this, right? Every Luke Skywalker needs a Yoda, Every karate kid needs a Mr. Miyagi. Just think about it for a minute. Do you guys remember back in episode one of Star Wars when Ewan McGregor wanted to train to be a Jedi master? Who did he go to? You remember? Liam Neeson, right? And do you guys remember later in Batman Begins when Christian Bale wanted to prepare to be Batman? You remember who he went to? Liam Neeson, right? (laughs) And then do you guys remember later yet when, uh, when Orlando Bloom was preparing to be a crusader in the kingdom of heaven? Guess whose tutelage he sat under? Do you remember? Liam Neeson, right? Which begs a really important question. What's the deal with Liam Neeson, right? The guy is awesome. But here's the situation. I think Hollywood knows this. We all want a Liam Neeson, right? We all want someone who's a Jedi master who has been there to show us the ropes. You know, for, for those of us who are in college trying to navigate decisions about our future, isn't it true? We desire someone to invite us in. We want someone to pour themselves out. We desire someone to build up. Those of you who are new in marriage and you're trying to figure it out, isn't it true? You want someone to invite you in, man. You want unique access to someone's marriage so you can learn how to do this. Isn't it true for those of you who are new parents, every stage and every phase of life, I think we desire this deeply. And you guys, I believe that this is actually what Jesus had in mind when he said that we should make disciples of all nations, that we should come alongside, that we should invite in, pour out, and that we should build up. So the truth is, for many of us in this room, when I say my life changed when someone invested in me, you could sympathize with that. For some of you, you can't because you've never experienced that. But here's the good news. The good news is that for every person in this room, we can decide to be people like this. And maybe it hasn't been done for you, but we can make a decision to say, you know what? I want to be a person who does that, who, who, who invites in, who pours out, and who builds up. Every single one of us can live a life in which 
we do that. And all of that leads me to this one thought and this one question that I want to ask you this morning. And here's the question I want you to consider. What if, what if the greatest, the greatest impact you make in this life and, on this, and in this world, what if it's not something you do or something you accomplish, but what if it's someone you invest in? Let me put it another way. What if the greatest investment that you make in this life is not a financial investment, is not in your 401k or your retirement plan? What if I told you the best investment that you can make in this life is not in something, it's in someone? What if I told you, what if I told you that the greatest accomplishment that you could achieve might not be the name that you build for yourself, but what if it's the name that you build up in another person? See, because here's what I believe, and I'm convinced of this. I'm convinced that in the times when the car is rolling, when you're confronted with the temporariness of life, when you're reminded of the frailty of life, my guess is that what you'll find is the things that matter the most in life are the relationships that God has entrusted with you. And 90% of what we tend to worry about and we spend our time and our money and energy on don't really matter anyway. I believe this is what Jesus had in mind when he said to make disciples, to invite in, to pour out, and to build up. And here's the wild thing, and I'll, I'll, I'll finish with this. The wild thing is this. When you read this passage, you realize that uh, Timothy's life changed because Paul invested in him. But you know, there's another side to this story. And the reality is that as much as Timothy's life changed because of the investment in Paul, when you read the Bible, you realize, man, but Paul's life changed when he invested in Timothy. Man, can I just, can I just tell you, I, val- I can validate this with 100% certainty. I could just tell you today it's true. My life changed when Jeff Bogue invested in me. My life changed when TK invested in me. But I can, I can also tell you there's another part that my life changed when I began investing in others. And, and there are names of, of, of guys that I've had an opportunity to pour into that if I was to mention them by name, I would tear up because of the friendship that I have with them. I love these guys. And when you read about Paul in this circumstance, it's amazing to me. You realize the love that he had for Timothy. Paul's life changed. Because of Timothy. Just glance down with me again at verse nine. Look at what Paul writes. Facing death in prison. He writes Timothy. And this is what he says to him. Look at verse nine again. Do your best to come to me quickly. Timothy, man, do your best to get here. I love what he says here. For Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me. He's gone to Thessalonica. Cretans has gone to Galatia. Titus to Dalmatia. I don't know why, but I I find this next part humorous. I don't know if it's supposed to be, but I think it's funny. Only Luke is with me. I don't know why I think that's so funny. uh, If you guys know anything about Luke, Luke was actually a pretty famous dude. He wrote the the gospel of Luke. Um, He also wrote the book of Acts. And so he was, uh, some of you might know, a really smart guy. He was a doctor. Um, He was a research analyst. And so my guess is, okay, really smart guy, doctor, research analyst, wrote a couple books of the Bible. He's probably a little bit of an egghead. You know, and because Paul is on his deathbed, I'm just wondering, maybe not the best company. And so I can't help but wonder if the Apostle Paul writes this out of desperation. You know, if he's like, Timothy, get here quick. Only Luke is here, man. <laughs> I can't watch any more Star Trek reruns, buddy. You got to get here, you know, and he's, but it's amazing. He's like, you need to get here. And then what really fascinates me is look at verse 13. When you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas, and my scrolls, especially the parchments. Here's what I find so fascinating. The Apostle Paul is facing death. He knows he's going down. He writes to Timothy. He says, Timothy, there's only three things I want, buddy. He's like, I want my coat, my cloak. It's probably because he was cold. He's in a, 
He's in a dungeon at this time. So he's like, I want my coat. He's like, I want my parchments. That would have been his Bible. He's like, so there's only three things I want, buddy. I want my coat. I want my Bible. He's like, I want my Timothy. I want you here, bro. I want you with me. And I'm just saying, Timothy's life changed because of Paul, but Paul's life changed because of Timothy. Let me give us two challenges. We'll pray and be finished. Based on our conversation today, here's challenge number one. If you're a person that would say, my life changed when someone invested in me, as we've been talking, if there's names that have been popping in your mind, that man, that person, that teacher, that coach, that pastor, that life group leader, maybe it was for a short time, maybe for a long time, would you do this for me? Would you just write those names down? And, And what I want to challenge you to do is I want to challenge you to share with them about how your life changed because of their investment in you. My guess is they'd love to hear it. My guess is it'd be encouraging to them. And my guess is that not only did your life change because of them, but their life has probably changed because of you. I'm just telling you, when I think about the men who have invested in me, my heart overflows with thankfulness. Here's my second challenge. My second challenge is this. Would you believe me if I told you that you could be one of those names? That, that you could be a person that could invite in, that could build up and could pour yourself out into another person. I wanna challenge you to prayerfully consider that, right? I know for some of you, when I say that, that's really intimidating. You're like, oh my gosh, that, that scares me because I, you might be thinking, I am the least qualified person to, to invest in anybody else, that I'm just the least qualified. And some of you think about your mistakes and your failures and you're like, oh geez, I don't even wanna, you know, and even your current mistakes and failures. Would you believe me if I told you that God can use you not because you're perfect, but because you're willing. Would you believe me if I told you that God doesn't just simply want to use your successes in life, but he can also use your failures and the things that you've learned the hard way that God can use those to help another person along? Would you be willing to be used in that way? I believe God can use you in powerful ways. Is it going to be easy? No. Is it always going to be successful? No. For every Timothy, there's a Demas. Just write about that guy. He says, Demas has deserted me. But I believe this is what God has called, especially those of us who follow Jesus. I know not everyone in this room follows Jesus. But for those of us who follow Christ, I believe this is what God has in mind. Quite honestly, for some of you, you're doing this right now. You are doing this. And, and you can think about people that you've been, you've been inviting in and pouring out and building up. And maybe you're coaching or maybe you're, maybe you're uh, doing something with someone in your neighborhood or a coworker or a friend and you're investing in them. You're reaching out to them. Maybe for some of you, you're serving Empower Kids in this way or you're serving in the student ministries or you're serving in New Perspective or Life Groups. And can I just say that if you're doing that, please hear me. What you do matters. It, it matters so much. And I know it's not. I know it's not glamorous. I know it's it's not um, a, it's not something you get thanked for often. But I am telling you, it matters. Take it from me, because my life changed when someone invested in me. Let's pray together. Jesus, I want to say thank you for your words to us this morning. I do believe that you've preserved the story of uh, Timothy and Paul for our sake. I believe that you've given it to us as an example to show us how to live. And the truth is, Father, that uh, for many of us in this room, we would say that our lives changed because someone came and was willing. Someone took a chance, someone took a risk, someone took the time. And because of it, we're different. God, you use that. You use people who are willing. 
to pour themselves out for the sake of others. And so I ask you, Jesus, that not only would you help us to be thankful for the investments that others have made in us, but I pray you'd also help us to be that for someone else. God, for, for, for some of us in the room, we can't, we can't think of any time that anyone's ever done this for us. The truth of the matter is, Jesus, the reality is this has been done for every one of us because, Jesus, you've done this. The Bible, Bible tells us, Christ, that you invited us in. The Bible says while we were still yet sinners, you died for us. The Bible says that you took on flesh, you initiated, you reached out, you were the one who invited us in. Father, we've all been invited in, but you didn't stop there because you poured yourself out. Jesus, you set for us the example of what it looks like to live a life of grace and truth. You poured yourself out on the cross. You died for the sins of humanity, and you have allowed us unique access to, the, to our heavenly Father. You've invited us in. You've poured yourself out, but then you didn't stop there, Jesus, because you built us up. You've given us everything we need in this life. You've given us your Holy Spirit. You've given us spiritual gifts. You've given us our church. You've given us each other. And you've equipped us in all of these things that we could do the work that you've called us to do. So Jesus, I pray that we'd live this life not out of obligation, not out of guilt, but out of thankfulness, out of gratitude, because you've done it for us. And we lift these things up and ask them in Christ's name. Amen.